You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today is going to be a little different. My guest today is none other than, you're going to hear this correctly, the Earth's Virology Professor. Yes, the Earth's Virology Professor, Dr. Vincent Racaniello. He's a professor of virology at Columbia University in New York and the host of seven that's correct, seven weekly podcasts under the Microbe TV banner, the most popular of which is This Week in Virology. Dr. Rockaniello, aka Vincent, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be here. Now, let me give a little bit of context here. Why on earth am I interviewing a virology professor of a university, of the earth, of the universe, or of anywhere else? The focus of our conversation today is on translating your expertise. One of the things that I hear over and over and over again that I end up having to work with clients on is the fact that you're an expert, whoever you are, whether you're in real estate, you're in finance, you're in medicine, you're in childcare and education, you're in whatever your field is, you are an expert. And the challenge is how do you convey your technical expertise and frankly, your passion for that expertise to someone who does not share it? in a way that they hear it and get it. How do you take that financial knowledge, that medical knowledge, that technical knowledge, and explain it to someone who is completely new to it or really feels like, well, I'm not a numbers person or I'm not a this person, I'm not a that person, and help them understand it so you're not talking down to them and you're not boring them and you're not talking over their head. All at the same time, how do you connect? And this I think is more and more important nowadays because so many people want to not just be known as people who are leaders in their companies or good at their jobs, but as thought leaders. People want to be on more podcasts. They want to be on, maybe you're out there and you want to be on more stages. Do you want to speak to more rotary clubs, to more PTA organizations, to more clients? You do insurance and sales and or in financial asset management. You're constantly speaking to more audiences, webinars, whatever it happens to be, but you are transiting even to the board. Who's your board of directors? They're not experts the way that you are. How do you take that and connect? With that. Remember our three C's, the ability to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Translating your expertise and your passion so that they understand it and feel it at the same time. And our Earth's virology professor today has mastered that science and art. And it really is a combination of the science, because it's your technical science, but it's also the science of engagement and the art. It's two sides of the coin, the science and the art of how to engage an audience and make them actually interested in what you think is fascinating. Yes, it is possible. And I want him to tell you how he's done it, because I actually listened to a 30-minute lecture on virology that he gave. And I was fascinated from start to finish. And I sent it to my husband and to my 20-year-old son and said, you guys got to listen to this. I can't believe I'm sending this to you. 
but you need to listen to this. And I gave them 14 reasons why, and they listened to it and they agreed. And I want you out there to learn his magic and figure out how to apply it to what you're doing. So, all right, I have officially given a way too long introduction about how to get out of your expert's curse. But Vincent, please tell everybody out there how you started in the virology department at Columbia University, how that led to one podcast 20 years ago before most of us were at all following podcasts, before it was Vogue and even just normal, regular, that everybody had one. And now seven, you're about to launch your seventh podcast, meaning all of them at the same time, not the other six ended and now we're trying a seventh all at the same time. It's a suite of ongoing podcasts. Vincent, give us your story. How did this happen? So you have to understand that what I'm doing now is very different from where I started. Right now, I want to teach everyone about different science, virology being mine, but all the different shows is teaching people science and not scientists, not my colleagues. But when I started, it was very different. I started, I wanted to do research in the lab. I wanted to have an academic lab, do research, train students, you know, give talks at meetings and so forth. And just to clarify, I never actually said it in the beginning, but virology, for those of who are trying to translate it in their brains, it's the study of viruses, just That's like right. it thinks. So COVID obviously was a huge focus for the last couple of years. That's and right. so, all right, so back to you. So I started teaching 14 years ago based on my book. And my innovation was to record all of my lectures and put them on YouTube, not just for the students, but I thought, hey, I bet the world would like to know about viruses. And, and the students would come up to me and say, why don't all the professors do this? So I have a long commute, which I no longer have because I take the train, but I got tired of listening to the radio and I discovered podcasts. This is like 2008. I said, oh my gosh, I can listen to whatever I want. And I said, immediately, I have to do a virology podcast. And I, I thought, let's call it This Week in Virology. I got one of my Columbia colleagues to do it with me. It was an experiment because that's what scientists do. We do experiments. And guess what? people started listening. Oh my gosh. And that podcast exists to this day. We recorded our 920th episode wow. last week. And it's called? This Week in Virology. And during the pandemic, we were doing three episodes a week. Now we do two. And it has driven everything else. So I said, oh my gosh, I can actually teach other people. And so we started all these other podcasts. I recruited experts in different fields to do it with me. I now do live streams on YouTube where Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can go over there and check it out. People ask questions about COVID and other viruses. We have five, 600 people from all over the world. I am blown away by the reach of this technology that allows a professor like me to teach the world. So I am now doing this full time. I am teaching and communicating with the world. I closed my lab just last week. I don't do any research anymore. I'm still at Columbia. I teach I think I can have a bigger impact teaching people about viruses and other subjects from this little studio here. So that's the story of it. And it's really been an evolution over the last 15 or 20 years or so. It wasn't what I planned to do. I had planned to just do research the rest of my life. But I really like when things turn out differently from uh, what you had planned. Yes, which is good because they typically do. What's the, the <laughs> phrase? If you want to make God laugh, tell him or tell her your plans or life's what happens while you're busy making other plans is the other version of that, of course. But what I want to dig into here is, A, what you love 
about doing this work because I think so many people are afraid that they will have to talk to all of these people, but that they don't feel the joy in it. They don't perceive their being joy to be found for that matter. They, they like sitting at their desk. They like doing their analysis and crunching their numbers and they like their world. But the notion of being more of a quote unquote public speaker, so to speak, is a little more intimidating, definitely out of the comfort zone. So what do you love about it? And then we'll spend most of the time for the rest of our conversation today talking about how you made that transition, because it's one thing to say, hey, look, I spoke and I put up this video and hey, there were 500 people who watched it with the next amount of time. Well, that's what people aspire to, but often it doesn't happen. So what do you think is the difference? What's the secret sauce that when someone else, whether they're a scientist or a an asset manager, a market analyst, or whatever else it happens to be, they talk and they get six hits. And it's usually their coworkers or somebody who's checking it out versus you talk and 500 total strangers around the world who have nothing to do with your field are tuning in and listening, not just to the first five minutes and bouncing, but to the majority, if not the full conversation that you're having. That's a different animal entirely. So let's hit those two things. And then I want to make sure there's three or four key tips that we want to share with you that the must do's, if you out there want to be a, a thought leader want to be able to translate your expertise so that the rest of the world wants to hear it. We're going to go through those three or four keys on everything from how to make it relevant to how to have fun with it and sharing your passion and and getting out of your own way, how to take out the head trash and really connect with the audience in the process. So first, what did you learn to love most? Why do you love what you're doing now when your whole career was about being in the lab and you just closed your lab mm-hmm. and you're actually happier? as a result of it, which is completely counterintuitive. Why? Well, it all starts with viruses, right? My life has been viruses. And even 20 years ago, it had already been 20 years of viruses. So I had an incredible curiosity and passion about them. And so that's the foundation. And I can tell you a dozen different things that'll blow your mind about viruses. And the best part of it, this is what I love, is when people say, I didn't know that. Those are the key words. I didn't know that. And if I can do that on a regular basis, I'm doing my job. That's what I can tell you. I really love it when people learn things that they didn't know before. They go off empowered. They come back and they ask great questions, even better questions. And they they remember a year later, yeah, the professor said this, and I remember it to this day. So that's what I love, sharing what I know with other people. This is the best thing that you can do is to share what you have. And certainly for a teacher, sharing your knowledge with others and empowering them is the best you can do. And that's what I love about it. It's so important to remember that people want to listen to someone who's excited about their topic. It doesn't matter whether prior to talking to you, they would have been excited about your topic. But as they're listening, is your enthusiasm contagious? for my virus metaphor. (laughs) Sorry about that. That was totally unintentional. No pun intended on that one, but I'm going to keep it and not cut it from the editing later on. But, you know, so often I hear people in certain fields like accounting or software development or something who will say, well, you know, I don't really want to tell people a lot about what I do because, I mean, 
I'm just, and they use that word just, and I want to take it away from the vocabulary. I'm just an accountant. People think accounting is boring. No one wants to hear about accounting. Well, could you imagine, and I would not think this, but maybe there are people out there who otherwise would have said virology. Like, why would I want to listen to a scientist talk about viruses? That doesn't sound very fun. That's it. And yet, when you're listening to him, it's his passion for it that makes him like, oh, I'm kind of curious now. What do you love about it? There's a love. I want to love a topic. People want to share that enthusiasm. So now we've got your passion. We've got what you loved about it. What are some of the things that you learned along the way as far as how not just to data dump information about viruses onto your audience, but how to decide what to share and how to share it to make 500 people want to just instantaneously listen, to tune in and listen and come back for more. That's really the the magic in it, right? How do you make them want to come back for more? What's a big lesson that you learned early on? By the way, the just, I have the same feeling about the just word. Ooh, talk to me about that. You know, early on, people say, oh, I'm just a graduate student. And I told them, drop the just. We are all something. Yes. You are what you are. And I said that on a stream somewhere. You are exactly what you are. And people repeat it all the time because they love it. And I don't have to say I'm just a PhD. I'm just an MD. It's become a joke now. People write in and say, oh, I'm just an MD. But and they know that I don't like that. But just get rid of the just word. I was just at a meeting last week and people kept using it. I'm just a student. I said, please, no just. You are what you are. And you know what? Their eyes light up. They're happy to know that there's something, right? Yes, yes, you validated that. That goes a long way. Absolutely. They, people will justify anything they want if it's an excuse <laughs> to not have to step out of their comfort zone. So anyway, go on. What's an early lesson? Very important for teaching. All right. So because we talked about curiosity and passion, you have to have that for your subject yes. because if you don't, you're never going to be interesting. And it's hard because you have to love what you do. You have to spend a certain amount of time doing it before you can generate that curiosity and passion. But that's the best way to be a terrific teacher is to show them that you're amazed at what you're teaching them. You know, If I'm teaching about viruses, I am amazed at certain activities of viruses. So passion and curiosity is key. The other that's really important is to be simple and not use a lot of words. I use slides, for example. I like to put pictures on the slides and talk from that. There's nothing worse than having text on a slide and having the students look at it. I could see their eyes up there and not paying any attention to me. So get rid of the words, use pictures as much as you can. Make it relevant to them. Any field is this can be done in. It's not just virology, but virology is particularly good. I tell them on the first day of class, and no matter who I'm engaging now, not just class, I use class as an example because that's what got me started, really. I tell them, this is important for you. To, if you want to know why you're healthy or sick, you have to consider the viruses. Don't just think about your diet and how much sleep you get and you know how much sun you do or do not get. You need to think about viruses because it's relevant. We're all full of them. That's another part. Make it relevant for them so that it engages them. It's not an abstract thing. It's something important for their life. I think that's a really interesting perspective shift. You know, sometimes it's just the two millimeter shift in the angle that you're looking at a particular topic. You know, when in golf, you can watch the ball shank 
you know, a hundred feet off in the wrong direction, mm. but it's not that you're off by a hundred feet. It's that you're off by two millimeters in the rotation of your wrist or whatever it happens to be. So when you're thinking about a topic, what I find a lot of people do is they put on the slides, whatever information is important to them as presenter that justifies all of their own information that informed them that they think is interesting, that they feel like is what I like to call a CYA slide, if you'll forgive the expression, a little cover your ass slide that's like, nobody really needs to know this, but just in case anybody asks, I want to make sure it's up there so nobody questions me for X, Y, and Z. Mm. But in the end, we're really, it's almost like the fire hose method of education, which is open mouth, turn on fire hose, drown the audience in data and points that they really don't care about and then wonder why they're not thrilled. If they were to ask you that one key question, so what? Why do I care about this? Whatever you're rambling on about right now, how is this relevant to my job? How does this change what I need to do for my family or for my prospects or for my, when I wake up tomorrow morning, what's my boss going to want me to do with it? What's my client going to want me to do with it? How does this change? Is it going to make my life easier? Is it going to make my life harder? And I need to brace myself for it. Like, are you giving me a warning? Help me figure out how to stave off whatever's coming down the pike. How is it relevant to me? Spell that part out for me. Then I understand why I'm paying attention to you. Otherwise, it's just information that may be interesting, may even be sort of important, but it's not priority because there's something else demanding my attention right now. Help me understand why this is priority. I tell them that in the first lecture of the course. I spend a good time saying why this is important for you, and I keep emphasizing it every step after that. We know that viruses, for example, are, can make you healthy or they can make you sick. And then in every lecture, there's some hook that brings them in. You know, you walk in Central Park, you can encounter this particular virus in this bird or, or this animal. Did you know that this behavior is a consequence of a virus? For example, Laura, did you know that blue eggs are blue because there's a virus in them? Like robin's eggs? Or chicken eggs. Chicken eggs are blue? I've never seen a blue chicken egg. You can buy chi you can buy blue chicken eggs. Yes, and most of them are white or brown, right? But periodically, you can buy blue ones. I've never seen a blue chicken egg. Okay, and uh, there are plenty, and, and my students, and some of them know that. And the farmers actually, they sporadically get a blue egg, and they breed the chickens to make more blue eggs. And what they're doing is there's a virus in them that's turning on the blue pigment gene. That students love this. So, well, so why would okay? Now I'm totally curious. I'm going to go down the rabbit hole for a second. Why would anybody want? to breed blue eggs if there's a virus in them? Well, the virus is, is harmless to us. It just makes the eggs blue. And some people like to buy blue eggs, even though you don't eat the shell, right? It looks pretty, I suppose. But the and, egg on the inside is regular white oh, and yellow. Oh, the egg on the inside is regular. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's a one thing. Here's another one. Did you know that we have placentas because of viruses? Really? If we didn't have viruses, we'd be laying eggs and maybe they'd be white. <laughs> that's what I so, And maybe they'd be blue. Or blue. So- these are the kinds of things that I can do having thought about viruses for so many years. And all of you who are experts in your fields, you can do the same thing as well. And it brings a little levity into it as well. And I think that's important. I want to hit on that too. Yeah, sorry, go ahead and finish your point, but I, I want to reference the levity. So we're talking about making it relevant, yep. right? So that's a really important aspect of any field. I've had it easy, to be honest, right? <laughs> to make it relevant. Pre-COVID, it was easy for me, but it's now even easier because everyone knows. And I'm amazed at how few people 
actually understood the impact of viruses before COVID. Now most people do. So it's pretty easy, but I'm ready for that now. But beforehand, I could make it relevant as well. And the last part, I think, and we'll, we'll get to what you wanted to talk about, levity. The last part is very important, and that's to admit when you don't know something or when you're wrong. Mm. I learned very early on that the most cred you can get from people is to say I'm wrong. I remember writing a blog post many years ago, and it was about a disease that affects many people. So a lot of people were reading it. And uh, some people objected to my conclusions, so I looked into it, and I was wrong. And so I wrote a post saying I was wrong. I never had so many people admiring my behavior when I did that. They said, oh, my gosh, a scientist who admits that he or she is wrong. I've never seen this. So at every level from that point on, I am very quick to admit when I'm wrong. I'm very quick to say when I don't know something. I don't know if it's known or not, but I'll look it up. I think humility is really important to treat your class or whoever you're talking to as peers. Don't look down on them, even though you know more than they do about the subject. Don't make it clear. Engage them in a way that you're having a friendly conversation with them. And, you know, by the way, did you know this? I think that works really well. There's about 16 points in that last minute and a half that you <laughs> brought up that I feel like I'm going to need about three more episodes to be able to really pull out all of it. You know, the notion of humility as something that is important to keep your ego out of it and recognize that all, a lot of these things that we'll be talking about from humor and levity to humility to whatever else, these are not black and white factors. Mm -hmm. These are not you have it or you don't. It must look like this or like that. It's all or nothing. You can be humble without being humiliated. There's a difference. Humiliation is about stripping away dignity. Humility restores dignity. So to be able to just acknowledge confidently that you made a mistake is something that really, I think, uplifts to your example, Vincent. It, it enhanced your credibility and the respect people had for you, ironically, to admit that you're wrong. People admired you more for that than if you just stuck to your guns and, and said, no, no, I refuse to admit, you know, I, I will not. That actually makes you look weaker. That's something that would require humility that you are not willing to do. And it can be very counterintuitive, but understanding that there's a place and a time for what I'll call unapologetic humility and recognizing that that's something that can connect you with the audience, that you're not all hubris. And on many fields, People don't want to be wrong, right? In science. Oh, nobody wants to be wrong. Not want to be, but. Or maybe you, the science. You don't even, the, the word wrong doesn't, you don't want to be part of your lexicon. In science, scientists are very reluctant to change their hypothesis to say that their data doesn't prove it and so forth. So many scientists will stick to it for many, many years, but that doesn't work in teaching. You have to back off because you're not going to be right all the time. And I, I suspect this is the same in other fields. Economists don't want to know that their theory isn't correct and so forth. So they may work many years beyond when they should have trying to prove it. So if you want to teach people, either in a classroom or in a company, if you're trying to present information and convince people of something, you have to have humility. It will be your best friend in, say, clinching the deal. There's, oh, this guy is actually straightforward. I could work with him or her, you know? So in the classroom, yeah, you know, I got that wrong. Sometimes I'll come in the next day after a lecture and I say, you know what? I told you this. It's not right. And the students think better of you. And then when you translate that to the world, my, the world is my classroom now, right? 
I do the same thing on live streams. I say, yeah, we, we messed that up. I did it just last week. I had something wrong and I, I don't do it because I know they're going to see me differently. I do it because I want them to have the right information. Sure. And I think they appreciate that. And then they know that they can trust you because yes. if you do have other errors down the line, you will correct them yes. and you won't allow them to keep going on and propagating falsehoods because they thought they heard something from you, the expert, and so they keep repeating it, then they're going to look foolish or potentially do something harmful or whatever else in worst case scenario. So I think they learn to trust you if they know that you will make sure that they're always equipped with what you understand to be best knowledge, best information. Right. right. Now, humility and vulnerability kind of go hand in hand along with what we referenced before, which is that concept of levity, mm -hmm. that concept of a little bit of humor, a little bit of fun that comes into a, a talk or a lecture. For those out there who would say to you, well, but look, I'm in insurance, I'm in asset management, I'm in cybersecurity, I'm in pick whatever field you want. And, you know, these really aren't funny fields. And it's, I don't know that people would like if I were to make jokes about it, or I don't feel like it's a, people don't want me to be fun, or they won't take me seriously if I try to be a stand-up comic or something like that. Humor doesn't belong in my information, in my education, in my whatever it is, my talks. How would you answer them? So they're right. You don't want to be a comedian, right? You don't want to tell jokes. That's probably the worst thing you could do is tell a joke because you never know how it's going to fall. And you're not a comedian, so you're not good at telling jokes. What I'm talking about is just to be lighthearted. We're told on my podcast that they're really edutainment, right? Yes. Why is that? Because we're explaining things, but we're just a bunch of people. And sometimes we get into arguments, very light arguments, right? Where it's funny to hear us go back and forth. And people like that. I have this live stream with one woman uh, every week where sometimes she'll say, Vincent, that's not right. And then I, I will react. In a certain, and people like this. It's just us being people. So that's one part of it. That's And of course, if you're up on the stage by yourself, then you're not going to do that. But in the classroom, I use a lighthearted approach. For example, I already told you about the blue eggs mm -hmm. coming from viruses and the placentas coming from viruses. And so I, I just say at the end of that, you know, without viruses, we'd be laying eggs and they'd be white. And it's not really a joke that any comedian would say, but in the context of what I've just told them, I always hear them laughing at that. And it breaks up the lecture and it lets them relax a little. And if you do this consistently, they say, oh, this is a human being here. And they open themselves up more to you. In fact, as I told you earlier, the first thing I say before I get going in that first lecture, I say, well, why am I teaching this class? I don't actually have to teach any classes if I don't want to. I teach this because I love viruses and I love them more than I love my family. And I tell them not to tell anyone that. And this blows them away. Many students have said, after I heard you said that, I knew this was going to be a good class. So it's not a joke. It's a, just a kind of humorous thing to say. So I try and pepper it through all the lectures, but it's all related to what I'm telling them. I don't just pull something out and say, hey, did you hear this joke about it? No, that doesn't work. And I can understand why, if you're in insurance, that wouldn't work. But you can take your information 
and look at the lighthearted aspect of it. That's what I'm talking about. And sometimes the lighthearted aspect may just be your own personal experience with something or sure. you know, whatever's in the, the room. You notice they're a sport fan or you notice whatever kind of coffee they're drinking. If there's a personal relationship you have with it or you know, there's no reason to not just make a lighthearted comment. It's sure. not something. And I think people, as you said, number one, it's recognizing that there's a human attached to that data, that you are a human, not just a data spouting machine. But I think when you think back to whether it's college days or high school or whatever classroom level it was, it could be a certification you took later on. Didn't you always learn better from the teachers who were kind of funny or who at least would tell stories or who would tell jokes or who would just make it interesting? Again, not Absolutely. stand-up comedy, not not making fun of their content, but just who made learning enjoyable and fun instead of putting you to sleep in the middle of class. Wasn't that important for you? Oh, absolutely. Who made it fun were the best. And you mentioned something that is that I, I also think is important, and that is telling stories. I have a lot of experience in virology. I've met a lot of well-known virologists. I've gone to meetings where interesting things have happened. And I pepper my lectures with them and they like it it is experience that they would never know about nobody else knows it it's relevant to the material and it's really worth putting in there so yes that's part of having it's making the lecture different it's not all at the same level just getting facts right you break it up in a variety of ways and that's another way to do that Sometimes it's just commentary. You know, you're sharing some data and you think of an offhand little note to self and you want to add that little comment in. There are ways to lighten it up. One of the strategies that I'll often teach is what I call editorializing your data. So you use the phrase, you know, isn't that interesting? Or would you have, what was the phrase that you had used? Uh, you had a couple of them as far as something interesting that you would notice. You Can you imagine? Or gee whiz, you know, who would have thought these? This blows me away. I, w- I like to say that this observation blows me away. And they're like, wait, this is a professor with a lot of years, serious guy, blows him away. And that takes them aback, right? It makes them realize that I'm really into it. Yes. Well, and frankly, when people are learning, and this is part of the, you know, how the brain works when you're learning, but when you're just hearing fact after fact after fact, your brain is okay, kind of an autopilot, just Mm -hmm. working in its mental spreadsheets of sorts and trying to carry the one. And when you are, as the speaker, saying, hey, you add this subjective commentary, this framing on the side, which is along the lines of, this part blew me away. This is really interesting. Or who would have guessed? Then that's a sign to the audience's brain that's saying, wait, something unique is coming up. Wait, something interesting is about to come. I want to pay attention to this. I want to think something's interesting. I want to think something's unique. I want to be blown away. I want to have a new little factoid to share at my next cocktail party or whatever it happens to be. So that makes them tune in. Mm -hmm. And you're not just telling people what to think. You're priming them for how to feel about what you think. And people make decisions first and foremost based on emotional experiences. And then they look for the logic to back it up. So if you've already primed them with curiosity because you are blown away by something, they're like, oh, I want to be blown away. That sounds interesting. That sounds fun. Yes, for sure. And as opposed to, I want to be informed. I want to be enlightened. I want nah, to be knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. I want to be fact-filled. It's too That's serious. Yeah. not inspiring. No. So when you prime them with those phrases and then you share with them the thing that you find interesting, which can be about a market update, which can be about planning for college, which can be about 
medicine or about whatever it happens to be, because you do find something interesting, which is why you're the expert in it, that enthusiasm, that curiosity is the first thing people willingly, voluntarily want to absorb from you. And then the data follows. And it's like paving the way for the information to get in. So I think those are great examples. Thank you for sharing those. I have the first lecture peppered with gee whiz moments as a way of hooking them, right? Here's one. If you go to the ocean, right? People like to take some seawater and spit it at each other, right? Did you know there are 5 million viruses in a teaspoon of ocean water? <laughs> and these viruses are harmless to you. But next, I tell them, next time you spit some water at your friend, you're spitting 5 million viruses. And by the way, in all the oceans of the world, there are so many viruses that if you put them end to end, they would go 200 million light years into space, way beyond the nearest galaxy. And these are things you can't even see. Right. So that's an example. I'm giving them facts. You know, I burst out laughing because I'm about to go down the shore for a week of vacation in another week or two. It's like, well, didn't that just put things into perspective? All right, I'll deal with that one afterward. <laughs> You're going to remember it. You're going to remember that when you first put your toe in the water, I guarantee. Uh, yes. And we'll see if it goes past the toe at that point. Now that I know that there's five billion viruses <laughs> per teaspoon. Holy moly. There's your factoid for you. All right. Now, I think it's important to recognize just as a caveat to the humor piece that Adding levity, adding a little fun, adding a little humor, adding a little trivia to it or whatever it happens to be, if done properly, which it generally would be done properly just because you're the smart people out there, that it does not undermine your authority. It doesn't mean that you don't take your content seriously or that people shouldn't take you seriously. It helps them relate to you. It helps them tune in more to what you're saying. It helps wake them up a little bit and help them enjoy the experience of what you're going to teach them. And we are all teachers, by the way, no matter what you're talking about, if you're conveying information, you are teaching, but it does not have to undermine you as leader. So you have to not worry about that piece. I mean, I think we've been having a lot of fun in this conversation. I hope everybody out there has been enjoying listening to us, but I don't think you're, if you're still listening, it's because you're engaged. And not that we've undermined our own authority because we've cracked each other up a couple of times. It added, it enhanced the experience of learning and we'll make a lot more of this stick. So bear that in mind as you go forward, everybody out there, and know that it's not an either or, it's a both and. When you can, and you use the phrase edutainment, I've often referred to as infotainment. It's not, you want to take your content super seriously. Just don't take yourself too seriously. And when you can have fun with your own stuff, that's the magic. What do you think? That's a great point. Don't take yourself too seriously. No, I, I do not. And they understand that. It's not like, oh, I know all this and I'm going to... No, that's not a good way to convey. But in that same first lecture where these all wow moments, and there are many more, you should listen. It, it's really fun. It gets serious because I put up a chart of the world with all the top causes of death. and Many of them are viruses. So we're here to learn serious business. And I don't joke when I talk about how many people have died. But, you know, viruses in the oceans, there are many other of those kinds of tidbits. Then we can have a little levity. But remember that these are serious things that can make you sick, that can kill you. But I'm going to help you get through it. I think the key there is timing and proportion. <laughs> Right. When are you going to insert that little comment and understanding that, no, your topic is serious. There's nobody out there who I can't imagine thinks that I don't take my stuff seriously. Nobody's going to I, I'm not about to go and do a training for a Fortune 100 
company in their cybersecurity department if I don't take what I do seriously and if they don't trust that I take my stuff seriously. They know that. But if we could add just, you know, a little sprinkling, a little here or there, bit of humor to kind of wake people up, to add some variety, to have a little surprise here and there where they weren't expecting that comment and it kind of, you know, wakes them up and, and just resets them and helps them refocus once again. It just makes it more interesting when there are surprises, when the entire talk, training, event, whatever it happens to be, whether it's five minutes or five hours, when it's not all the same level of seriousness through the whole thing, there's variety in your voice, there's variety in your content, there's variety in your tone, there's variety in your energy. This is part of what makes you engaging as a speaker, not just smart. We know you're smart, but nobody tunes in just for smart. Final thoughts, Vincent? There's no question that you need mix up the levels, as you've just said, that's perfect. You know, that's, it's not something that I said on day one that I have to do this. I just learned by doing it. I've done a lot of teaching and lecturing and so forth, and I could tell what works and changing the mood is really important. And so you can do it in a variety of ways as we've talked about it today. I hate to do this, but I need to wrap up our conversation today. Uh, Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. How can people learn more about you and your various podcasts and, and learn more about viruses for that matter? Well, you can go to our main website, which is microbe.tv, right? Microbe.tv. So the extension is TV. It's not .com or .anything else. It's .tv. Unusual. And we'll put it in the show notes so people don't have to worry about writing it down. And those, that's where all the podcasts live. Many of them have video, and of course, the video lives on YouTube, but the video is on microbe.tv. You can get over to YouTube. Over on YouTube, where we'll, we'll have a link also, you can find my lectures. Every year, I record a new set of lectures at Columbia, my virology course, so those go up every year. I also have done an experiment. Last year, I did a live stream virology course, 26 sessions where people come in from all over the world. And I'm showing slides and talking and they're asking questions in the chat. They're talking among themselves. I really like it because I say, you know, if this were a class, you guys couldn't be chatting in the back of the room, right? But here you can. You can yep. answer each other's questions. I love it. I'm going to do more courses as live streams of all different kinds. So over on my YouTube channel, you can find those as well. And we're always looking for more people to teach. So come on by. Love it. Thank you so much for joining today. And thank you, everybody, for listening, for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and of course, whatever your platform of choice is, so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. 
the host, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.